Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making him known. But uh, there was this man and uh, he decided that he needed to go on a diet. And as part of the diet, he figured that donuts wouldn't be a part of that diet. Why, I have no idea. I've been on donuts for years and doing quite well. No, no. But anyhow, one day he's driving to work, and he sees this brand-new bakery that's open, and he's thinking, maybe this is a sign. And he cries out to God. He goes, God, if this is from you, if you really want me to eat some delicious donuts, then I just ask that you make a parking spot right in the front of the bakery. And sure enough, the eighth time around, there it was. Some of you need to think about that, but uh, you've probably done that. You know who you are. Well, this morning we're going to continue our study in the book of Philippians. We're coming to a close. Actually, we'll finish it up next Sunday. And I've entitled the message this morning, Are You Content? Are you really content? Lord, I just thank you for each and every single person here. Uh, What a blessing, Lord, just to be able to come together and just to praise and to worship you. If we did just that, it would be all worth it. You are worthy, Lord. But yet, Lord, we also come from the word because your word gives life. And I believe it will give life this morning. So I just ask that you would give us soft hearts that we could truly receive that we wouldn't have walls, defense. I also ask that you would just give us ears that could truly hear what you are trying to say. And as always, Lord, we don't need a word from a man, certainly not me. And I just ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head, that I truly would speak your words this morning, words of life. So I'm just excited what you're going to do. I'm excited, Lord, for what you have planned for us. And I'm just praising you in advance and thanking you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. When the storms of life come, notice I didn't say if. I said when the storms of life come. And the reality is if you've left or lived any period of time, then you would certainly agree with M. Scott Peck, who wrote in his bestseller many, many years ago, The Road Less Traveled. Skip, you can put it up. He started out with these three penetrating words. Life is difficult. And it is difficult. And so the question is, is 
when life is difficult, when life is less than ideal, is it really possible, though, to experience contentment? Is it really possible to experience contentment in your life and in my life? The Apostle Paul writes this this morning in Philippians chapter 4 and verses 10 through 12. Skip, can you put those verses up? He says, I greatly rejoice in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. Now, the scenario is this. The Apostle Paul is what we call a church planter. Uh, Generally, that's really what a missionary is. And what I mean by that is you go to an area, a missionary will, and they'll go to an area where there's not a, a church or a community of believers, and they will proclaim, they will preach the good news. And we know what the good news is. The good news is you don't have to live in guilt. You do not have to live in condemnation. You can have an eternal relationship with your creator. Can you imagine that? Being connected and having a vibrant communion with your creator. You don't have to live with self-destructive habits that are just destroying your life. You don't have to have strongholds. You don't have to have addictions controlling you. All of this is part of the good news. You can have meaning and purpose in your life, and we're going to learn this morning. You can have contentment. This is the good news and so much more. And the apostle par was par excellence when it came to missionary work. He reaped, he benefited, and communities would come about as a result. Vibrant Christian communities. Now, does anybody here think the Apostle Paul became wealthy by doing this? You know, kind of like sometimes the prima donnas that you see on the television or in radio land? The answer is obviously no. In fact, do you know that Paul, in order to clothe and feed himself, actually had to make tents and sell them? Skip, can you put up the picture? This is where we get the term tent maker from, for a a pastor who is bivocational. In other words, Cannot get enough money from the congregation to even live on, so they have a side job. We call them tent makers. Paul was a tent maker just to, you know, make ends meet. And, uh, you know, in fact, Paul initially makes it clear that of all the communities, all the churches that he started in the various towns, only the Philippians actually gave him money. Only they contributed to him financially. So I want you to understand, Paul all during his life struggled financially. And if you're here, I bet you some of you are struggling financially. That's not fun. But not only that, look at the litany of circumstances that Paul also had to face. Skip, can you put that up? We see, now it's in Corinthians. There it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. What anyone, what anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Now, this is Paul speaking. So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am even more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily concern, the pressure for all of the churches. Anyone here have a bad week like this? Bad month? See, that's, that, we, we, we would call that a bad week, bad month, bad year, bad lifetime. I mean, these are tough circumstances. And see, the real question is, is it possible for a person really to face this kind of circumstances? To really, when the chips are down, is it still possible to experience contentment? And the great answer this morning is, yes, it is. That's what Paul tells us. Yes, it is. In fact, put up against Philippians 4.11. The Apostle Paul says, I am not saying this because I am need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances You know, the word that Paul uses for circumstances here is interesting. It literally means to be self-sufficient, independent of all external resources. Now, Paul is not talking about a self-sufficiency that says, I don't need anybody. I can live life on my own terms. That is just sinful pride. Paul, though, is speaking of an inner self-sufficiency. He's speaking of an inner power that allows you to live above your circumstances, right above your circumstances, and still experience contentment and satisfaction in your life. Wouldn't you like that ability? I know I would certainly like that ability. You see, it made no difference to Paul whether it was hot and humid outside or cool and dry. It did not make a difference if Paul was free or whether he was in prison, chained to a Roman guard. It did not make a difference to him whether he was eating steak or eating chicken, and I'm still working on that one. It was okay with Paul. It was okay with Paul if the Philippians sent him a financial gift or if they did not send him a financial gift. Either way, he was content and satisfied. You see, here's the real question. The question is this. Are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? Skip, can you put that up? Are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? You see, a thermometer registers the temperature around it. The thermometer, therefore, is influenced by what is going on around it. A thermometer is in a constant state of fluctuation. It's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. Many of us live with a thermometer. You know what that's like? It's like being on a constant roller coaster ride that never ends. Not too fun, is it? And you know what the tragedy is? Most people are thermometers. Most people and most of us are thermometers. You know what, though? God calls us not to be a thermometer, but to be a thermostat. You see, a thermostat regulates the atmosphere around it. In other words, a thermostat is not influenced. It is an influencer. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, you, 
You are the salt of the earth. And then Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. You, you and I are to be the light of the world. In other words, Jesus Christ said, we're to be world changers. We are to change the world. We're to be thermostats. We are not to be thermometers and be conformed and changed by the world. By the way, which one are you? Are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? You know, Jesus Christ was the ultimate thermostat. He did not conform to the environment around him. Rather, he forced the environment to conform to him. And no place better do we see this than in John chapter 8. It's a great portion of scripture. Skip, can you put that up? Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stepped, stooped down again, and he began to write in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again, and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I, and go and sin no more. Now, that's a nasty situation any way you look at it. Here is Jesus teaching in the temple, and suddenly, while he's teaching in the temple, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, take this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery, and they throw her in front of him. I mean, that's rather rude. And they say, teacher, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. The law says to stone her. What are you going to do? You see, Jesus is on the horns of a dilemma. The horns of the dilemma is this. Jesus is a popular prophet. And if he says stoner, he's obviously going to lose his popularity. He's going to lose his crowd. If on the other hand, he says, don't stone her. Don't follow what the law says. And he looks like a lawbreaker. He's antinomian. He's a lawless one. So what is Jesus going to do? Well, Jesus says, whichever one of you is without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. Now, here's the interesting part. Then it said he stooped down in the dirt again, and he began to write. Now, does anybody here believe in divine doodling? (laughs) No, I mean, do you you think Jesus was just bored? He just began to write in the dirt? I don't think so. In fact, I think it's very intriguing. You see, the reality is, you know who are the real lawbreakers here? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, you say, well, why do you say that? I'll tell you why. Because what does the law say if someone's caught in the act of adultery? Before you can stone them, what do you have to do? You need the other party. It takes both, you know, as far as I know, it takes two to have adultery. But I could be wrong. So where is the other party? Where is the man? And you know what? Jesus gets down and he begins to write. You know what I think he's writing? I think he's writing that man's name. And many theologians, I can't take credit for this, believe he was writing the name of a Pharisee. Many people believe it was one of them who was caught in the act of adultery. And he shows them to be hypocrites. And that's why from the oldest to the youngest, they see the name and one by one, they drop those rocks. You see, that's a thermostat. 
But Jesus isn't finished. Everybody's gone. And then he looks at the woman and he says, where are those to condemn you? And she looks around and I'm sure she was shocked. There is no one. And listen to what Jesus says. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus Christ did not come to condemn any person here. But then he says these life-giving words, go and sin no more. See, that's a thermostat. I think that woman's life changed that day. She experienced incredible grace. And she found out that, you know, no longer was she going to find her value and worth in men. She didn't have to do that. She could find it in Jesus. And it changed her life. Now, see, that's a thermostat. You see, that's what we're called to do. Wherever Jesus Christ walked, he had this inner power. And he's releasing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And so even though he finds himself in these nasty, nasty, destructive, toxic situations, he's able, by being a thermostat, he releases life-giving healing in those situations. And he's calling you and he's calling me to be thermostats. And let me tell you something. If you want to experience contentment in this topsy-turvy world where the circumstances are up and down, up and down, you've got to become a thermostat. I've got to become a thermostat. And you say, well, that's great, great, pastor. How do I do it? How do I become a thermostat? And this is the challenge this morning. You know, Paul makes an interesting statement in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12. He says this. Skip, can you put it up? I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. You know, I love that. Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment. That's good news. You know why? Because it means that Paul wasn't always content. He learned the secret of contentment. But then he also says that contentment, he says, it's learning the secret. Now, that plays on our curiosity, doesn't it? Secret. Who here doesn't want to know the secret? I mean, you hear the word secret, and you go, wow, man, what's the secret? I want to know what the secret is. What is the secret? You see, it's kind of like if I put a sign right there on that wall that says, wet paint, do not touch. What does it do to you? It just incites you to want to go touch it because you want to find out if it's wet or not, right? Skip, can you put up the picture? Ha. The Secret. I remember seeing that book. Anybody remember this book? The Secret. Came out about 11 years ago. Instantaneously, it was a bestseller. It has sold over 20 million copies. 20 million copies. And I'm thinking to myself, I saw that. No, it worked for me. I had to pick the book up and it says this in the flyleaf. Listen to this. Towards the end of 2004 and following a string of traumatic events in her personal and professional life, Rhonda Byrne discovered a great secret, a secret law, the principle of the universe. Now, that got me. Now, I'm going to save you some money. I'm going to give you the secret. See, it's funny to watch people. I wish I had a video to kind of move up. (laughs) See, this is worth the price of admission here. I hope hope the check was big this morning. All right, here we go. 
The Secret. This is actually a quasi-religious book. It's, it's, it's based upon Matthew 21, 22. Here it is. You say, well, what is Matthew 21, 22? Here, here it is. Put it up, Skip. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Now, they call this the law of attraction, new age circles and prosperity circles and the power of positive thinking thir- circles. Depending on how you translate it, you can put what you think and you believe you will attract. Based upon what you think, what you believe, you will attract, you will receive. Now, you know, a lot of people, this is nothing more than the power of positive thinking just kind of repackaged for another duped generation that easily believes things. You know, I, I love what Solomon said so many thousands of years ago. He says there's nothing new under the sun. You know, imagine if Byrne actually had entitled her book Psychobabble on Steroids. You think that's going to sell? You think that's going to sell 20 million copies? Psychobabble on steroids. That's exactly what this is. It's nothing more than psychobabble. But the secret, you see, it gets our attention. And Paul's not stupid. He says, I know the secret of contentment. He says, I've learned the secret of of contentment. So what is the secret? You're saying, well, what is it? Skip, put it up. We find out in verse 13. We find out what the secret is. And he says, for I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, Paul was a type A personality. You know, he, he was the can-do guy. And you know why it was so difficult for Paul? Because, you see, he thought he could do it in his own strength. No, he thought he could achieve contentment in his own strength. And he had to learn over the years that he couldn't achieve it on his own. Now, there are numerous pastors and teachers who will pull this verse out of context, and it becomes kind of a magical formula. For example, if I need an A on a test that I haven't studied for, I just say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or let's say, you know, you are playing Satan's game of golf and you're about 120 yards from the pin and you need to make that shot to get par. You just cry out, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? And you're going to make that chip shot. Or, you know, you start out late for work and you need all of the lights to be green. Don't tell me you haven't done this. And you cry out, oh, Lord. I can do all things through you who gives me strength and you count on those, all those lights being green. Or maybe you just want a new home. Your home's okay, but you want a new and you want a bigger and you want a better home. And you say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, does anybody think that that's what this means? Some people actually believe it, but it's not what it means at all. And I like to say, you know, it's context, context, context. Do not rip a verse out of the context. And the context is this. Paul is saying that I don't care what your circumstances are this morning. I don't care. You can be content. You can experience satisfaction because of Jesus Christ who gives you the ability to do it. That's what he's saying here, and that's what he's talking about here. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, you know, Pastor, you just don't understand. I'm married to a lemon. 
I'm married to a lemon, and, 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 and I'm just thinking, you know, if I could trade this lemon in and, and get a new and better model, I would really be happy and content. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, somebody's laughing back there, all right. Some of you might be thinking, you know what, Pastor, you don't understand, I just got a lemon of a job. My job's a lemon. I mean, my job makes a root canal look like a walk in the park. Some of you might be thinking this morning, you know, I just haven't been dealt that good of a hand in life. My looks are kind of average, and, and uh, you know, my IQ is somewhere between Forrest Gump and Archie Bunker. My jab has all the excitement of two amoebas courting, and my family life is on life support. And are you telling me, are you kidding, are you telling me that it is possible to experience contentment and satisfaction? And Paul says, you know what? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. You see, nowhere in the Bible does it promise that you will have an exciting life. But you know what's promised to you? Is that God is more than enough. God is more than enough. God is more than enough. Do you believe that God is more than enough? You know, there was this wealthy, there was this wealthy Englishman who lived in England, and he had an art collection that was worth about fifty million dollars. And this wealthy man only had one son, and he loved his son very much. And in his will, he deeded the collection over to him when he died. And World War II came along, and the son was. Uh, enlisted into the army, and he tragically was killed. The wealthy Englishman obviously was heartbroken, and he didn't die really too long after that. So since the wealthy Englishman had no living heir, it was stipulated in his will that the art collection should simply be auctioned off. And on the day of the auction, there were people from all over the world to bid on the various art pieces in this art collection The first art piece, though, to be auctioned off was an oil painting of the Englishman's wealthy son. And so the auctioneer, you know, started out the bidding on the portrait, the oil painting of the Englishman's son, and there was just silence. No one was bidding on it. You see, all the people around the world had come from the more expensive pieces, the more unique pieces of art. And then the auctioneer said, is there anyone here to bid on the oil painting of the wealthy Englishman's son? There was silence again. And then finally there was a voice in the back. And the voice in the back made a bid. Who was that voice? It was the servant of the wealthy Englishman. He had actually brought the young son up, the Englishman's only son. And he deeply loved the Englishman's son. And then the auctioneer said, is there anybody else to bid? And again, there was silence. And then the auctioneer said, going once, going twice, three times, gone. Sold to the man in the back. And immediately, the rich man's lawyer quickly stood up and he said, ladies and gentlemen, this auction is now officially closed. According to the terms of the will, whoever purchases the oil painting of the owner's son is to receive the rest of the art collection as well. 
And Papa says, I want you to know my son, my only son, is the secret to contentment. If you have my son, you have everything. Some of us all this morning haven't learned that secret. And you know how Paul learned that secret? Remember the litany of things he said, I've been beaten with rods. He had all those things. You know what was happening to him? God was stripping him. And it caused him to press into Jesus. And he found out that the son was all that he needed. He found out the son was all that he needed. And he's all that you need this morning. Lord. I pray we'll allow this word to speak to us. I pray we will allow the word to speak to our souls this morning because it's a word of life. And Jesus Christ can and is more than able to bring contentment and sufficiency in any situation we're experiencing right now. I pray now, Holy Spirit, you will move and breathe faith within us to believe this as we sing this last song. I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.